Our first reading this morning um, is Psalm chapter 2 and can be found on page 384 of your Bibles. Psalm chapter 2. Why do the nations conspire and the people plot in vain? The kings of the earth take their stand and the rulers gather together against the Lord and against his anointed one. Let us break their chains, they say, and throw off their fetters. The one enthroned in heaven laughs. The Lord scoffs at them. Then he rebukes them in his anger and terrifies them in his wrath, saying, I have installed my king on Zion, my holy hill. I will proclaim the decree of the Lord. He said to me, You are my son. Today I have become your father. Ask of me, and I will make the nations your inheritance, the ends of the earth your possession. You will rule them with an iron scepter. You will dash them to pieces like pottery. Therefore, you kings, be wise. Be warned, you rulers of the earth. Serve the Lord with fear and rejoice with trembling. Kiss the sun, lest he be angry, and you be destroyed in your way. For his wrath can flare up in a moment. Blessed are all who take refuge in him. And the second reading today is from the Gospel of Mark, chapter 8. Uh, which can be found on page 713. During those days, another large crowd gathered. Since they had nothing to eat, Jesus called his disciples to him and said, I have compassion for these people. They have already been with me three days and have nothing to eat. If I send them home hungry, they will collapse on the way because some of them have come a long distance. His disciples answered, But where in this remote place can anyone get enough bread to feed them? How many loaves do you have? Jesus asked. Seven, they replied. He told the crowd to sit down on the ground. When he had taken the seven loaves and given thanks, he broke them and gave them to his disciples to set before the people, and they did so. They had a few small fish as well. He gave thanks for them and also... Gave thanks for them also and told the disciples to distribute them. The people ate and were satisfied. Afterward, the disciples picked up seven basketfuls of broken pieces that were left over. About 4,000 men were present. And having sent them away, he got into the boat with his disciples and went to the region of Dalmanutha. The Pharisees came and began to question Jesus. To test him, they asked him for a sign from heaven. He sighed deeply and said, Why does this generation ask for a miraculous sign? I tell you the truth, no sign will be given to it. Then he left them, got back into the boat and crossed to the other side. The disciples had forgotten to bring bread except for one loaf they had with them in the boat. Be careful, Jesus warned them. Watch out for the yeast of the Pharisees and that of Herod. They discussed this with one another and said, It is because we have no bread. Aware of their discussion, Jesus asked them, Why are you talking about having no bread? Do you still not see or understand? Are your hearts hardened? Do you, have not, do you have eyes but fail to see and ears but fail to hear? And don't you remember, when I broke the five loaves for the 5,000, how many basketfuls of pieces did you pick up? Twelve, they replied. 
And when I broke the seven loaves for the 4,000, how many basketfuls of pieces did you pick up? They answered, seven. He said to them, do you still not understand? They came to Bethsaida and some people brought a blind man and begged Jesus to touch him. He took the blind man by the hand and led him outside the village. When he had spit on the man's eyes and put his hands on him, Jesus asked, Do you see anything? He looked up and said, I see people. They look like trees walking around. Once more, Jesus put his hands on the man's eyes. Then his eyes were opened, his sight was restored, and he saw everything clearly. Jesus sent him home saying, Don't go into the village. Jesus and his disciples went on to the villages around Caesarea Philippi. On the way, he asked them, who do people say I am? They replied, some say John the Baptist, and others say Elijah, and still others, one of the prophets. But what about you, he asked, who do you say I am? Peter answered, you are the Christ. Jesus warned them not to tell anyone about him. He then began to teach them that the Son of Man must suffer many things and be rejected by the elders, chief priests and teachers of the law and that he must be killed and after three days rise again. He spoke plainly about this and Peter took him aside and began to rebuke him. But when Jesus turned and looked at his disciples, he rebuked Peter. Get behind me, Satan, he said. You do not have in mind the things of God but the things of men. Then he called the crowd to him along with his disciples and said, If anyone would come after me, he must deny himself and take up his cross and follow me. For whoever wants to save his life will lose it, but whoever loses his life for me and for the gospel will save it. What good is it for a man to gain the whole world yet forfeit his soul? Or what can a man give in exchange for his soul? If anyone is ashamed of me and my words in this adulterous and sinful generation, the Son of Man will be ashamed of him when he comes in his Father's glory with the holy angels. This is the word of the Lord. Uh, We're continuing to prepare for Easter by looking at Mark's Gospel that we might appreciate Jesus all the more. We keep asking the question of who Jesus is. Uh, If you closed that part of Mark chapter 8, can I encourage you to reopen it? We're going to pray that God might speak to us, but uh, also to sneak in another exciting notice. uh, We have a a latest member of our church family arrived two days ago. Uh, Emily Mitchell arrived safely on Friday. Uh, Steve's there and he's looking pretty good. Um, I'm sure Kathy's looking great as well, Uh, but do uh, please, over morning tea, congratulate uh, Steve. But how about we pray and give thanks for that great arrival uh, and that God might speak to us. Lord and Father, we thank you that you are the God who gives life. We thank you for the new life of Emily. Uh, Father, thanks for bringing her safely into this world and may she always know just how loved she is by you and your son as well as her family and church. Uh, and Father, we thank you that you give a new spiritual life and we know this morning we come needing to be fed Uh, not physically but spiritually. Uh, We need the words of life uh, and we ask that by your spirit you would speak them to us today. 
uh, that we might be satisfied in knowing you and transformed in understanding your word. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Uh, Barbara Arrowsmith Young uh, runs a school to retrain brains. Uh, you might know that brain is a muscle that can be retrained. For her, she runs this school from her own experience. Uh, she grew up excelling in, in one half of brain function, but having the other half effectively doing nothing. So she could commit to memory, entire books, uh, entire movie scripts, but she had no ability to reason or interpret information or, or really socialise. Uh, pulling herself out of it, retraining her own brain, she actually set up a school because she wants others to benefit. A graduate of hers said, prior to the school, uh, she said, I couldn't process information. I had no idea what humour was. My vision was two-dimensional, and so the world looked like cardboard cutouts. That's a tragic place to be, isn't it? Um, always seeing, never comprehending, never understanding the significance, the meaning. Uh, even sadder is that that's the spiritual vision of so many people. Now, people know information about Jesus uh, from scripture at school, the, the vagueness of popular media, maybe years of sitting in church. Uh, but many are trapped still seeing him as this kind of two-dimensional cardboard cutout and not the fullness of who he is. Do you see Jesus? I'm not asking, did you have a mystical vision last night? Uh, but I'm asking, you know, you've got opinions and details about him, yes, but do, do you see him as he actually is? not the figure you'd like him to be. Mark 8, uh, which Camilla just read for us, uh, is really a, a trip to the spiritual optometrist. Uh, it's a chance for us to test whether we've really seen him, whether we've understood the information. Do you see him clearly? Because it's vital to. If you fail this test, it will cost your life. Well, knowing the importance of the question... Uh, we need to see Mark's answer and what we should see of Jesus. Mark 8, we see Jesus is the Christ. He is the universal and selfless king. And so let me ask you first, do you see Jesus as the Christ, that universal king? Chapter 8 opens with uh, a sense, a touch of deja vu. Uh, Jesus again swamped with a crowd. In Mark 6, just two chapters before, it seemed remarkably similar. Uh, Jesus had this massive crowd in front of him. Uh, he had compassion on 5,000 of them in the wilderness uh, with five loaves, two fish. He satisfied them and there were baskets of leftovers. Uh, in Mark 6, he wanted the people of Israel, God's people, to see who he really was, that he was the shepherd, the, the provider of Israel, God himself. And we just read in Mark 8... Uh, again, Jesus got a crowd. Again, in verse 2, he has compassion. Again, in verse 4, he's in the wilderness. Again, in verse 8, he is satisfying masses with leftovers. You know, the similarities are not accidental, but what matters is the difference. It's the same miracle, but a different type of people. The people he's satisfying here are, are Gentiles. Uh, he's He's still over in the Decapolis. He's been there since 7, verse 31. Uh, the people he is satisfying aren't classically the people of God. They're, uh, as we saw in chapter 7, they're the dogs who can only hope for Israel's scraps. You know, for those with eyes to see, he's showing he is the good king of all. That is, he is the evidence of the Christ. Christ, fancy word, just means anointed, chosen ruler. Uh, we read, Brad read for us in Psalm 2, where the nations are given as a gift to this Christ, to this Messiah. 
You know, all the world is his. You know, this anointed king wouldn't just be Israel's, but the world's. And, and the evidence is there to be seen. But even the disciples missed the importance. Uh, in verse 16, they're arguing about, you know, who brought the bread. And in verse 17, Jesus is getting frustrated with them. The way he speaks to them, why, why are you talking about no bread? Do you still not see or understand? Are your hearts hardened? That is, they have become uh, like those outsiders to God's kingdom. Back in Mark chapter 4, he told parables of those who, who ever see but never understand. They've become like them. They've become like the, the hard-hearted Pharisees who want to kill Jesus. All the information is there. The evidence is there. You know, he reminds them of it. You know, remember I fed 5,000? You know, don't you understand that that's me, God, shepherding my people Israel? He reminds me in verse 20, you know, I, I fed the Gentiles too. Can't you see I am the king, the one who is anticipated to, to, to rule over all? Yeah, the evidence is there. But the disciples are so fixated with their own concerns, they don't get the importance. You know, the miracle from verse 22 on uh, that blind man, it's a picture of the disciples' spiritual inability to see. Uh, so at Bethsaida, Jesus meets this blind man. Um, in verse 24, uh, Jesus half restores his sight, which is unusual because Jesus can kind of do it with a word. Uh, again, it's not unusual because it's an accident. Uh, it's not as particularly difficult. He's making a point. You know, he half restores, and so this blind man sees people as though they're walking trees. They've, they've, he's got something of it, but not all of it. Like the disciple who have seen so much, and yet their own concerns and agendas is blocking them from seeing Jesus clearly. You know, we, we watch that exact same problem play out from 27. Uh, Jesus takes his disciples to Caesarea Philippi. Um, that city was uh, on the edge of Jewish Gentile territory. Uh, it was a city that was established by Herod the Great uh, to be a place of worship to Romans, Rome's empire. So there, in this city like in Psalm 2, committed to overthrowing God's ruler, Jesus asked this pointed question, who do you say I am? They've got all the evidence, but do they see the meaning, the implications? You know, they know the crowds think lots of him in verse 28. Just like most modern Sydney siders do, Jesus is a good guy. But do they see Jesus as he really is or according to their agenda? Yeah, and there's this seeming breakthrough. The, the whole of the first half of this gospel has been leading to verse 29. Peter says, you are the Christ. That is it. That moment he seems to see clearly. You know, I see you're the king. I see that you're not just an ordinary guy, an ex-carpenter who happens to get into some teaching. No, I see you are the one who rules all. I see you are the one that everyone must bow down to and pay homage to or else be destroyed. Yeah, Peter has realised that if you interpret the data that normal cardboard cutout view of Jesus just doesn't fit. You know, he's not just a, an ethical teacher. He's not just a good guy. He's not just a social innovator. The evidence points to something much bigger. Uh, C.S. Lewis puts it, a man who is merely a man and said the sort of things Jesus said would not be a great moral teacher. He would either be a lunatic on level with a man who says he's a poached egg or he'd be the devil of hell. You must take your choice. Either this was and is the son of God or else a madman, or something worse. You can shut him up for a fool, or you can fall at his feet and call him Lord and God. But let us not come with any patronising nonsense about him being a great human teacher. He has not left that open to us. 
Do you see the Christ? Do you see the one who rules every moment, provides for you? Do you see the one you must serve with everything? Of course, the real twist is even at that moment of the greatest insight, Peter fails to see. Because Jesus isn't the ruler, the Christ anyone expected. You know, the shock of Jesus is that second aspect. He is the selfless king. You know, even today we get shocked by selfless leadership. We don't expect it. Uh, at the start of the year, uh, worldwide, there are still company closures, redundancies happening. Uh, but worldwide, 61 nations picked up the story of Ken Grender. Uh, he's not a household name yet. I hope at one point he will become a household name. Uh, why? Ken Grender had grown a family business down in Victoria in the Dandenogs from uh, 6 to 1,300 buses. Uh, and when he sold it, uh, he gave $15 million of the proceeds to his employees. Uh, now, he did it without fanfare. In fact, he didn't even tell his employees. Uh, a lot of them found out because they went to the bank saying, oh, actually, there's been an error. I've received all this money. I shouldn't have. No, no, no. Uh, he did it according to this sliding scale, according to you know, how long you'd worked with him. Uh, some in his company received $30,000 as a bonus. Yeah, and it's shocking. Uh, there's actually lots more tales that can be told of the fact that this was his kind of whole lifestyle of leadership and leading this company, of caring for people. He kicked in superannuation for his workers 20 years before it was compulsory. You know, this was just... A, but it's still shocking. Uh, one, one of his workers said his brother in Croatia wrote to him, this is what he wrote. 600 people lost their lives this winter in Europe's freeze. But the big news was Ken Grender's bonus. Now, why? Because we don't expect to see selfless leaders. And Peter didn't either. You know, Jesus is the Christ from verse 31. He actually goes on to explain what it means for him to have all this power. And he insists that he will suffer. He insists he must suffer and be rejected. He must be killed. He must rise again. You know, the first half of Mark, Mark 1 to 8, if you've been with us, you've seen Jesus is all about power. But there's a change at this moment. For the rest of it, it's all about the way he used his power. With all, with all the, the power of the universe at his disposal, he submits to mockery and violence uh, that his earthly enemies put upon him. You know, that, that willingness to give his life is more shocking than any kind of generosity of a, a Ken Grender. And Peter can't cope with that kind of leader a selfless leader. You know, Peter confesses, Jesus, I think you're the Christ, you have the right to rule over everyone in the world, now let me pull you aside and explain to you how you should be king. He can't cope with the Jesus who isn't what he wanted. Like the blind man, he only half sees. You know, Jesus knows that his kingdom is only going to come by giving himself entirely. A little later in 10 verse 45, he explains that the Son of Man didn't come to be served but to serve and give his life as a ransom for many. You know, it's that death that we celebrate this Friday when we gather together. But it is hard to see a selfless king. You know, it still requires the illumination of the Holy Spirit to open blind eyes. But each one of us must ask that question. Who is Jesus? Who do you say he is? Is he your selfless king? It's not enough to sit in company of people who confess the faith that Jesus is the Christ. People have sat in these pews uh, and never seen clearly and have walked from faith. Now, 2 Corinthians 13 gives good advice to the church. Examine yourselves to see whether you are in the faith. 
You know, it's something we should do often. How do we do it? How, how do we know if we have seen Jesus clearly? Uh, two words to reflect on, two words that will open up. Beware and deny. Beware and deny. First, beware. Uh, beware the danger of unbelief. Beware telling a two-dimensional Jesus how to do his job. In verse 15, Jesus warns against the Pharisees and their yeast. Uh, The idea uh, was that their teaching, their arrogant unbelief, could spread and contaminate others. In verse 11, they're asking for uh, and demanding from Jesus a sign. And he gets frustrated because in verse 12, he, you know, he has given example after example, but they just don't want Jesus on any terms other than their own. You know, like Moses' generation, this generation, they want to dictate the conditions they'll believe in, which is really unbelief. You know, beware the unbelief of dismissing Jesus because he doesn't give you what you request. You know, looking at Mark 5, we spoke about begging the Lord for your heart's desire. Beware in case his answer of not yet or no turns you from trusting him. Beware the unbelief that flows of not caring about your sin. If if you drew a a, a list of sins, um, we've all got kind of sins that never bother us, and you kind of go, yep, I've never struggled with that, and then the others you kind of habitually are falling into. This side of new creation, uh, that's, that's just kind of normal, that's to be expected, but you and I know our hearts can get hardened by repeated sins. You know, you're impatient so often that it's normal and so you just stop caring and you stop struggling. You know, that kind of callousing, that kind of hard heart, you know, that meant the Pharisees could be so passionate about the Sabbath rest and still plot Jesus' murder the same day. You know, beware. You know, if you see Jesus is the Christ, beware the yeast of unbelief. But secondly, deny if you see Jesus clearly, you'll live in denial. Verse 34. If anyone would come after me, he must deny himself. He must take up his cross and follow me. This is not a call for missionaries. You know, this is not a passage just for your Jim Elliot's who went and died in the Amazon trying to tell people about Jesus. Jim Elliot famously used the line, he's no fool who gives what he cannot keep to gain what he cannot lose, picking up on this passage. No, it's not a call for people like them. It's a call for ordinary people just like you and me. Now, Jesus is clear in verse 35 that losing life for his sake is the only way you will gain your life. If you don't see Jesus clearly, it will cost you your life. He is calling you to reckless abandon to the will of God. If you see Jesus as your Christ, deny yourself. That is, deny those distinctive parts of yourself that are unlike Jesus. So self-denial is going to look different for all of us. It's going to look different for you compared to the person next to you. Um, so the proud need to renounce their status. Uh, the greedy need to renounce wealth. The complacent need to renounce ease. The fearful need to renounce security. The violent renounce vengeance. You know, be honest. Which part of you are you trying to hold on to rather than giving up for Christ? Because if you see Jesus clearly, you will take up your cross for life. You will deny yourself. 
Uh, the image Jesus used of taking up your cross was offensive then, just like it is now. It's to say, come and join me on this death march. You know, spend every moment following him through suffering to glory. You know, and so even in the little things, you deny yourself daily. You, know, you, you become the first to forgive even when the other person started it. You deny yourself there. You take your cross. You, you don't seek revenge on that person at work who wronged you. You leave room for God to. You know, you'd be willing to be just a little bit more tired because you give up time to be with that person in grief. Now, if you see Jesus clearly, expect it to cost you. You know, living a life of selflessness and, and self-control that other people will think is just a bit silly. You know, you'll take up this, this doctrine, this set of beliefs that the world will find ridiculous. You know, we're, we're saying next Sunday, we think one man has risen from the dead and therefore all will rise again. And a lot of people think, you're a fool. But you take up that cross, cross and expect it to cost we do it because he asks us here to proudly name him so that one day when he comes back in glory, he'll be proud of knowing you. And that's why we have those lovely little Easter cards uh, that we can hand out. It's just a little chance to invite someone else that we might be proud of Jesus and they too might find life. Does your Christianity cost you anything? If not, it may be you've never seen Jesus clearly. You know, deny yourself, knowing that in the end Jesus is asking nothing of you that he wouldn't do himself. Uh, one of the mechanics who works for Ken Grender boasted that in 40 years he'd never taken a sickie. You know, that's what you do for a good boss. Yeah, and we serve Jesus Christ, we serve the selfless king, the one who only tells us to do what will actually save us. You know, we deny ourselves because we will profit in ways more than this world can ever offer. You know, we've got the evidence, but how is your vision? You know, is he more than a cardboard cutout to you? Do, you? do you see him clearly? Who do you say Jesus is? Let's pray and then praise him. Our Lord and Father, we thank you uh, that you are the king, but with all your power you use it to serve us. Uh, Father, help us to see you clearly. Help us to see that you've the right to command our every moment and help us to see just how much you love and serve us. Uh, Father, help us to see you clearly that we might deny ourselves, take up our crosses and in losing our life, find it. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.